Gachalo has some big decisions to make ahead of the semi-final against Palmeiras. Jean has emerged as our number one and he's fantastic. He has proven to be key for uh, Carlos Tevez. Together with Boca, it's the third consecutive year that both sides have reached the semi-finals. So... And it's going to be a side in Buenos Aires that wins it. And Jesus. it's going to be the blue and yellow and it's going to be Boca. It's a huge statement. Yeah. Like if you take the macro perspective of it, then you, yeah, you can tell it. Or more recently, Neymar. Exactly. That defensive solidity is a great platform that Boca are able to build on. Hopefully, Boca can prove uh, uh, stronger than Santos and make it to the final. The thing that I fear the most would be at the back, they've got difficulties as well. Gachado stays beyond June to go into the latter stages and I think River have to be considered strong favourites. Boca Isa has carried a lot of momentum after beating Racing, turning around the quarterfinals higher. About a River Plate final... And welcome along to Wilson and Windsor's Copa Libertadores podcast, a podcast exclusively dedicated to the greatest club competition in South American football. And every week we discuss the goings on in the tournament. Myself and Mr. Oliver Wilson, this week we previewed the two semi-finals between Boca Juniors and Santos and River Plate and Palmeiras. And we were delighted, Ollie, to have contributions as well from some of the fans and journalists involved in these football clubs, which I think offered uh, an insight which you and I have scratched upon, but perhaps at times uh, fallen slightly short of. But nonetheless, a comprehensive pod, my friend, and I'm pumped for the semi-finals. I'm looking forward to it. I... I keep forgetting half the time because you're so busy with Christmas and we are recording this on New Year's Day. We are starting as we mean to go on with keeping the podcast going. Every round will be covered. There's only what three rounds left, so we're we're, we're clear <laughs> after this one, basically. So we're almost home and dry. But yeah, it was really nice to get some input from some voices that weren't our own so we don't sound like two English chumps in, in and around Southern England waxing lyrical about South American <laughs> football. We had boots on the ground people who follow these clubs and are based down in South America, some of them talking all about uh, Santos and River and Boca and Palmeiras, whose fans seem to apparently uh, have more fun watching their side than talking about them because we reached out to a couple and uh, were let down by a couple as well. So some disgraceful antics by the Green Giant. And it's almost... It's almost bittered me on them going into the semi-finals, I tell you. If you are a Palmeiras fan, then do get in touch, yeah, and we'll have a chat ahead of the uh, ahead of the second leg. <laughs> as long as you're reliable and can do a voice note. <laughs> two, key, two key criteria for the Wilson and Windsor Libertadores podcast. Enjoy the pod. Want to get back to the edge of the box. Oh, that is an absolute scorcher. Matthias Enrique has never scored in continental competitions. He has now. Alaga pulls the trigger and delivers on Binacional's Libertadores debut. They lead against Sao Paulo. A racing club look like they're going to be the only Argentinian side to win in week one of the Copa Libertadores group stage. Oh, you know, it's nice, to, it's nice to go a little bit chronologically. We're just jotting down a few few statistics, Ollie, looking at this River Palmeiras first leg of the semi-finals. And I was thinking, how do you sell this to a neutral fan who might be watching on the BBC or anywhere anywhere around the world? And how would you sell this to a neutral fan? Well, how about it's two former champions, two coaches in their 40s, one of which is the best coach in South American club football, and, crucially, they're the two top scorers in the competition. They both, over the course of 10 Copa Libertadores games, 
in the competition this year have scored an average of three goals a game. Well, River have got 31 goals in 10 games. Palmeiras have got 29 in 10 games. So everything on the surface is set up if you hadn't watched any of the tournament, for this to be a free-scoring, exciting two-legged semi-finals. And yet, I think Gachado perhaps is going to try and stifle Palmeiras a little bit and it won't quite play out like that. But on the surface, that would be my pitch, Ollie, to why a neutral football fan that hasn't watched any of the tournament should watch this semi-final. Uh, on the grand scheme of things, this is the best two teams in the tournament that we've seen in terms of the most enjoyable football to play. Whether they are the best two teams in terms of it's going to be enough to win them the actual Libertadores is another big question. But in terms of eye candy and football in South America, these are the best two to watch without a doubt. As you mentioned, goals galore in both of them, although I still put more weight into Palmeiras' goal-scoring abilities. Um, but it would be frustrating if Gachado does end up trying to stifle them. It's what all great managers do is they try and take away your biggest strength and that would be limiting the Palmeiras attack. Um, I think as we're going to hear in a moment or two though from uh, from Joel Rich Richards, I think that's actually going to be very difficult for this uh, River Plate side to do because of various other implications that are coming up in the build-up to this semi-final. As we all know in that second leg against Nacional, uh, after the keeper was sent off when, after 18 minutes or so, uh, it really was void. And, and I suppose that didn't teach us anything that Gashad didn't already know about his side. It did give the likes of Jorge Carascal, the young Colombian playmaker, and Nico de la Cruz, the Uruguayan, uh, I guess a confidence boost with their with their nicely taken goals. But it didn't teach Gashado anything. And obviously Palmeiras is going to be it is it is really quite a proposition for River. Gashado has some big decisions to make ahead of the semi-final against Palmeiras. And of course, it's complicated by having that uh, league clash, that super classical against Boca just days before. So uh, in midfield, Gachado has got these, these decisions to make and he's had problems in the last few weeks. Enzo Perez was out with COVID. So, and we saw that Leo Poncio really is getting close to, to retirement. So Perez should be back, that's fine. But then elsewhere, you know, we saw how Nacho Fernandez. Uh, he was out injured, but before that, his form had dipped. And so that saw Bruno Zuccolini coming into a midfield and really playing a different role to the one he usually does. Zuccolini, much more of a defensive midfielder, but he was given licence to get forward and he scored goals in both legs of the quarters against Nacional, the Uruguay. At the back, they've got difficulties as well because in the last league game, both left-backs, uh, Fabricio Angileri, who had really uh, won his place in the first team, the first choice left-back, he picked up an injury and so too did Milton Casco and there was a scare for the centre-back Paulo Diaz. So at one point it seemed this was going to get very difficult for uh, for Gachardo. Paulo Diaz should be back so we should expect him to go with a back three. Um, but this situation did remind me slightly of 2015 and the, the, final, the return leg of the final against Tigres of Mexico when uh, Gabriel Mercado, the first choice right back, was out suspended. Um, Emmanuel Mamana was out through injury. And Gasado just found a way of reinventing one of his midfielders, uh, Camilo Majara, the Uruguayan, to play it right back, and it worked out. So no doubt Gasado's got something up his sleeve, as we've seen he, he just has always done in the last few years. Joel Richards on Michelo Gasado uh, and River Plate, and, and exactly what Joel just, has just said there with the problems at fullback in particular. I don't look at the uh, centre-back problem as much with, with Diaz and the knock that he's had, but the full-backs in particular, I think, is a real problem for River in this because, as we know with Palmeiras, their strength is going forward and they have devastating play from the wide positions and just in those slightly inside channels on the left and right of the 18-yard box. And that's when you need your full-backs to be in top form, to be able to cover and support those centre-backs just inside and deal with what Palmeiras will throw at you, which is kind of a four-headed monster going forward. Yeah, and I think Oshada was always so comfortable slipping from that 4-4-2 or 4-2-3-1 to the 3-5-2 when he needed to because he trusts his fullbacks so um he trusts his fullbacks so much. And I think the fact that it looks like Moreira is going to have to play there perhaps with uh Anhilari and, and Casco out, as Joel was saying, and Montiel on the other flank, that definitely raises a big, big question. Um I actually saw Montiel was really strongly linked again to European size this week. Uh, and Lucas Prato to Feyenoord, actually. I know we were talking the yeah, other week. Yeah, that was an league. odd one. Yeah, we were talking about how many players have left River over the last few years with Palacios, Martinez, Cuarta, Skoko, Quintero, etc. It looks like another couple are out the door as well. But yeah, the fullbacks issue is going to be a really big issue. 
Um, but I think Gachado still will go 3-5-2. And the other side of that course, Oli, is even though I do think Gachado will try and stifle Palmeiras, he's got Borre, who scored six goals in the competition so far. He's got Nico de la Cruz, that's had a fabulous tournament. Suarez will start as well. So whatever decision he makes in the centre of the park, whether it's Nacho Fernandez coming back in and It'll be interesting to see whether Nacho Fernandez does take his place in that 11 if Gachado's loyalty for Nacho Fernandez will kind of come through or whether he'll start with Carascal. But either way, Oli, whatever happens defensively, they do have the weapons to hurt Palmeiras uh, at the other end of the pitch. And that's on the flip side of the coin. As you say, the thing for Palmeiras is that I, I wouldn't look at a number of the sides that they've played in this combo ball to Doris and think, Oh, they've actually been tested defensively. Sure. Which is a very surprising thing to say when you get to the semi-finals. But we were so underwhelmed by Libertad, uh, even when they fought hard in the first leg and um, and got the draw against Palmeiras in the quarterfinal stage. Delphin, we knew was kind of going to be a write-off, and Palmeiras conceded uh, away from home in that, but were rock solid on home soil as they have been pretty much throughout this tournament. Um, so have we really seen either of these sides arguably stretch to their maximum? And it's something you can actually look at in a very broad way across the whole of the final four at this point. Of, yeah. uh, and particularly if we get to a final of the side that wins between Santos and Boca, have they played any team that has come anywhere close to the attacking quality of either River or Palmeiras? Um, but going back to this this semi-final, I think this is going to be a, a big wake-up call uh, for you know the likes of Weverton who will be anchoring and commanding that back line, Marcus Rocha, uh, Emerson Santos. Um, it, it will be interesting to see if if Palmeiras can themselves find a way to deal with what River throw at them. I just think, though, if River do go with a, a 3-5-2, it might still be a little easier for Palmeiras to deal with tactically as River come forward because you've got those two holding midfielders traditionally for Palmeiras who do a really good job in front of the back line. So with the full backs and two up front, you should still be able to cover cover all bases and have a bit of extra support as well either side. I just wonder the other way around, if a, if a river fullback gets caught high up the pitch, you don't want to let any of those three just off the centre forward for Palmeiras in behind because they've got goals in them all over the place. Menino, three goals in this tournament. Luis Adriano hasn't played since the group stage, four goals in the tournament. Uh, Ronnie, four goals. William, four goals. I mean, Ronnie, with seven assists and four goals, is making a, a play to be the tournament's standout player this year. I, it's difficult yeah, that's... To, to see how you stop him still. And I know it's weird to, to think that River, with all their pedigree, and Gachado's got these problems. And, and Joel, at the end, is kind of, well, Gachado did it against Tigre. And it's, are we watching this amazing perfect storm of Gachado and River slowly just things are getting in the way like COVID uh, like Nacho Fernandez's poor form like injuries going into this semi-final it's like watching that heavyweight fighter who's been so good for so many years and then he's going just back in the ring for one more round and it's do you want to see that do you want to see the, the legacy just get pulled away in this in this fashion I think the, the saving grace, perhaps, for River fans there, and I think it's a pretty apt analogy that we've talked a lot about how perhaps River and Gachado have come to the end of the cycle. But the saving grace, Oli, I would say, is that he only needs 29 more days out of this Riverside until the final on the 30th <laughs> yeah. at the Maracanã. So it's not like it's in six months or in a year. He's got six months to train. This is the final push, you feel, for Gachado and this group of players. And he doesn't need much. He needs to win two semi-finals against a Palmeiras side that's very, very uh, impressive going forwards. And, you know, you listed off a, a bunch of names there. And you didn't mention Gustavo Scarpa as well, mm -hmm. who's, who's a player I know we both really like. He's really, really exciting in the final third. And they got a lot of youth as well. You talked about Gabriel Menino and Gabriel Veron as well. So Palmeiras are a good side, of course. And Gachado, can he squeeze a couple of big performances and a final out of this Riverside, I think he probably can. I don't think he needs to be perfect in this over two legs. I just think River needs to be very, very good, play close to their maximum and hope that Palmeiras, uh, as you say, you know, that they haven't really faced anyone. And you can say it at both sides. Both of these two sides came through their, their groups really easily. And then Palmeiras, yeah, demolished Delphine in the last 16, beat Libertad in the last eight, and River beat Atletico Paranense in the last 16 and, and dismantled Nacional in the last eight. So that's a definitely a, a fair point that neither side have been truly tested, which makes this a really interesting contest. And yeah, I, I wouldn't want to call it uh, either way, to be honest. Do you think we've seen in the knockout stages, Palmeiras away from home? I mean, you still felt they played within themselves a bit against Delphine. They played within themselves against Libertad. They're away from home for the first leg on, on 
the the night of the fifth, the morning of the sixth, our time. Sure. Do you think Palmeiras have learned, particularly from the Libertad result, that they don't need to play within themselves on the road because the travel isn't that far, because there are no fans in the stadium? Or do you still think that we see Palmeiras play within themselves? Because if River come away with a big victory in the first leg, that's really damning for the Brazilian side and it heaps so much more pressure on them going into the second leg, which we've seen before for Brazilian teams in particular, it's not beneficial for them when there's a lot of pressure. They seem to shrink even more. Yeah, I think I think Palmeiras will, Palmeiras will be really, really buoyed by the goals they've scored. And you can only beat what's in front of you. And yes, Delphine was a, a demolition in Libertad. The second leg was really, really easy. But I don't know. I think the fact there's no fans, they might go to, they might go to Buenos Aires and, and play with a bit more expanse and freedom. Uh, I certainly hope they do, Ollie, because, you know, you sense it's one of those games, an early goal and, and things could really open up. So I'm certainly hoping for goals, 60 goals between the pair in the tournament so far. It would be, be great to see a lot more of that. The other one is the kind of the, the comparability between this Palmeiras side and last year's winners, Flamengo, as well, in terms of, look, they've had a European manager come in who's got great experience in the European game, but hasn't quite cut the mustard at, at the highest levels in the same way Jorge Jesus was considered a, a good European manager but not a great European manager by any stretch of the imagination. Abba Ferreira comes in in October they maintain what was already a very impressive attack maybe with a slight change of being even more open and expansive when they go forward if that is even possible they were already like that anyway. Um, I just wonder if if we look at this Palmeiras side and if you can draw comparisons to Flamengo in in their style of play, looks a bit more European. Is that going to be more problematic for River? Does that bring back nightmares of the final as well? And it's not over till it's over kind of things? Yeah, but River were, were in many ways, fantastic in the final. And, you know, in the, over the fullness of history, that will, of course, be forgotten. And, and Gabby Goals, uh, you know, Gabby Goal winning the, the title for Flamengo right at the death will, will be the only story that prevails. But, you know, the fact is, in that final against this superior Brazilian side in Flamengo, River managed to neutralise a lot of the key threats that Flamengo had. And, and they'll be hoping to do the same, of course, against Palmeiras. And, you know, we talked so much about the statistics of Marcelo Gachado, but they, they're so, so impressive that you can't not keep repeating them. This would be, if he could get through it, the fourth final in six years, mm. which would just be a simply remarkable achievement. The when does he go question has obviously been given a, a real curveball with the addition of the pandemic. So so who really knows um, at this point? He may well wait for the European season to to, to to end in May and then and then sort of pick his club or the club will pick him in Europe over the summer. But uh, yeah, I mean, he's on course for four finals in six years. If he, if he goes, he's got to go after if he makes the final. Like if if it's going out on a big note, it's got to be after a Libertadores going going midway through a Libertadores campaign. I don't think would do him any favor. Even if he's got no club to go to, you know, because the, let's say the finals on the thirtieth, but then it's early February, and a lot of European clubs then will think, oh well, you know, let's just stick with them. There might not be that many opportunities at that moment. Still, will be the middle of a pandemic. You know, maybe just wait a few months and then things will open up in the summer. But I mean, listen, you could spend, and we have spent many, <laughs> many hours debating when Marcelo Gachado will eventually move to European football and lift all the big trophies that he's destined to do. Well, we'll, we'll we will see. I still, I'm still not buying the Joel Midas touch thing for for lurking, working this long. There is a point that he has to get something. There wrong. is. There is. And be too confident in his own ability almost. There is a point that Kashada will get it wrong. I mean, I, I'm reminded a little bit of the final, the end of the final. And I remember us talking about this on the pod, Ollie. And Gashada was so stoic, really, a really good loser, if you like. You know, at the end of that final, he, he I remember him going around the pitch, shaking everyone's hands, just comforting some of his younger players, just looking at his squad. And it was almost a wry smile. You lose a final in the, in the last minute. That's that's football. It can happen. He, he still had an incredible run. And and that then there was a real sense that, oh, wow, OK, this is Gashada looking back over his legacy and his time. Um, but but yet, here we are a year later, somehow, and, he, and he's still there. So can he squeeze... He doesn't even need three magnificent performances, as I said. He just needs, he just needs to, to, to he just needs to somehow squeeze past Palmeiras and then in a one-off final against either Santos or, or Boca, we know he can do it. So, anyway, we, we shall see. All right, do you want to move on to the uh, the second semi-final, please? 
Uh, all right, Santos against Boca Juniors. And this the only reason why I wanted to go with this one as a first to lead off is because I feel like the excitement is so much higher to watch River Palmeiras, whereas this is this feels like the semi-final for the purists. Are you worried that when we look at the pod analytics, Ollie, that they would drop up halfway through the podcast if we'd led the other way? Okay, that's fair enough. I mean, I think Boca will always be a big enough weight that people will want to watch it. But I, I do know that, that, that River and Palmeiras have been the best two sides in the tournament, certainly in terms of uh, statistics. So, so that's a fair assessment. Uh, let's uh, let's dive into Boca Juniors to start off hosting the first leg uh, on the evening of the sixth of January. Windsor, you uh, you managed to get somebody to have a chat with us, didn't you? I did indeed. Um, Francisco Fran, uh, who helps out and kind of co-runs, I think the the Boca in English uh, podcast. Hope I'm not doing you a disservice there, Fran. I think uh, I'm not sure he founded it, but yeah, he's a, he's a key part of the Boca in English podcast, which is well worth a listen. Uh, big Boca fan and have plenty of thoughts on Boca Juniors game against Santos and, of course, all things Boca. Okay, so Boca is about to play. Uh, River played for the Copa Diego Maradona, the, the tournament that was renamed after Diego, after Diego's death. There is uh, lots of rumors uh, for, uh, for the, the, the Copa Libertadores semifinals, but first of all, Boca has a Super Clásico. Who will be starting in the attack? Okay, I think that Soldano, possibly Franco Soldano, after his good job, um, despite not scoring many goals, he has proven to be key for uh, Carlos Tevez to get uh, to get to get Tevez rid of the responsibility of fighting against the centre backs, and that has earned him lots of good performances. So I think that uh, Soldano is possibly the one who would be starting. Ramon Avila has suffered many injuries uh, throughout 2020, lots of uh, tear in his muscles. And uh, that has um, moved him back in the consideration of Miguel Angel Russo. Mauro Zarate, unfortunately, is the bagat to Tevez, not, not beyond. And uh, he has only had action in these last weeks for the local league. So I think that Zarate uh, is the one who has less chances of playing in the semifinals. Uh, how confident is Boca? Well, um, I think that Boca has a, good, has a very good record against uh, Brazilian rivals, but it's not enough. Boca is, uh, has carried a lot of momentum after beating Racing, turning around uh, the the quarterfinals uh, tire. So that's a good, that's very good uh, for uh, for the future. However, it's a it's um it's part of a of a of a new period in Boca with Miguel Angel Russo. So hopefully, Boca can prove uh, uh, stronger than Santos and make it to the final. We will see. Thank you very much, Fran. Really, really appreciate that. Uh, some interesting thoughts, Ollie. What really interests me, actually, in terms of team selection for this Boca side is that Franco Soldano, who perhaps I've been a little bit mean about in the past, and that is dictated to mainly by just statistics. He's a striker that doesn't score many goals. So forgive me if, I, if I'm a little bit critical of that. But just the fact that I think Carlos Tevez really likes playing with Soldano as that focal point so he can drop off. And so Soldano, um, you know, played well against Racing. And I saw that Ramon Abila scored a couple of goals against Huracan in the Argentine Domestic League at the weekend. And I, I like Ramon Monchope Abila, so I wonder whether he was going to be knocking at the door. But France is pretty confident that Soldano will start and it'll be a very similar side than uh, uh, similar side to the one that uh, beat Racing. I think it has to be, just because they were so dominant against Racing. The, the ball retention was fantastic. They, they created a number of chances. I mean, we said it last week after the Racing game. Fran said it there as well. Sordano is massive because of the role that he plays off Tevez because it gives Tevez the freedom. And that's what Carlos Tevez needs to do to thrive in this system. He's never been an out-and-out centre-forward. He's always better as a 1-2 sitting just off a, a higher-lying forward. And and if they can get that right, there's no reason to think that with the quality and the defence... It's the defensive quality for me, for Boca, that's still the biggest thing that any side has to overcome when playing them because Boca can grab a goal with anybody whether it's Soldano whether it's Abia or whether it's Tevez up front on his own there's a good chance that he will get some service from one of the mm. wide men uh, and someone like Avia and be able to stick it in the back of the net can you score against Boca can you break them down I think that's the biggest key for, for Santos in this game with Soldano and the chemistry that they've got though it gives us what we expected from Miguel Russo when he came into this building because Gustavo Alfaro last year 
set the groundwork. You know, we already had the, the foundations were built in defensively. It was now can Russo extrapolate something more from the front players that he's got. And we've seen in the last couple of games with Tevez and Soldano that that's exactly what they can do. The other thing with um, that was mentioned with uh, Abi Wanchope is that last year's legacy, he was amazing for them in, in the Copa Libertadores. He was the, the focal point of the attack. He scored some really important goals. But that wasn't under Miguel Russo's watch. So that's why I think Abila doesn't get the nod ahead because Russo's guy, alongside Tevez, who's performed the best in the in the continental competition, has been sold out now. It was interesting as well, Oli. I was reading this week and, and Fran mentioned it. Of course, there is the Super Clasico contest in the Argentine League and people saying it's perhaps the, the least important Super Clasico for, for decades maybe because of these semi-finals and the Copa Libertadores coming up. But then the point was made that Carlos Tevez is 37 next month and this might be his last Super Clasico. And there was just, from what I was reading and, and talking to a couple of people, there was a suggestion that Tevez is going to say, no, 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 play me, play me, play me. This might be my last Super Clasico. Whereas I think the natural instinct would be, you know, for a man who's nearly 37 and has got a very, very important Copa Libertadores semi-final coming up in a few days, don't put him anywhere near that. Don't even bring him off the bench, save his legs. So be interesting to see if there's a bit of a surprise and Carlos Tevez does does play minutes against River in that Super Clasico clash. Um, what a story it would be if, if Carlos Tevez, having scored the goal that won Boca, the Argentine Superliga, um, in the early part of of uh, 2020 can, can go on and, and potentially win the, the Libertadores with with Boca in early 2021. So so really interesting. I also just wanted to pick up on something Fran said about Mara Zarate, who's a footballer I really, really liked. Really clever between the lines. Very inventive little footballer. Saw flashes of him, uh, certainly, well, more than flashes last year when he, he was so impressive. So I like that Fran said, unfortunately, Zarate's just dropped down the pecking order a little bit. But uh, he's, he's, he's a good wild card to bring off the bench if you're a goal down. A hundred percent in terms of what he can provide with some experience, uh, whether he, I mean, if we're talking about Carlos Tevez still going, we don't need to bring in the age of Zarate because he's three years younger than Tevez. So sure. <laughs> whatever, whatever Tevez can provide, Zarate has got three years of extra youth on it as well. Perhaps not with the same quality that Carlitos can bring in. I, I mean, the depth has never really been a problem for Boca. It's been finding a way to to get goals and, and not get caught out by the biggest sides in this in this competition as we saw last year in the, in the semi-final so again untested a lot defensively um they've only conceded three goals in this competition throughout the whole competition which is a staggering feat i remember and was actually listening back to um the preview podcast that we did uh, especially after you, you sent me some audio in the week, which I'm sure we'll uh, we'll have drop at some point, either in this podcast or the next, depending on how results go. That's what we do in our spare time, by the way. Just listen to podcasts from years gone by of our own voice. I'm so narcissistic in that way. I just have to think. Um, but it was it was interesting that I've lost my train of thought now as well. <laughs> uh, you were listening to the preview of last. While you gather that chain of oh, thought, because I... because yeah, Boca up to that point in the league and we were getting towards the end of the league season had only conceded eight goals yeah and it's like de defensively probably the best on the continent without a doubt the best in Argentina but probably the best on the continent I agree and also just the I'm just looking now I've got the 11 in front of me that started against Racing in that second leg and have been so consistent for Boca throughout this year and Andrade I just want to pick out that the Andrade the goalkeeper is Kiedos and Lopez as a three and then via Salvio and Tevez as the three at the other end, those six footballers, you know, they're the absolute key of that Boca side. And Andrade's a really good goalkeeper. Two centre-backs that have been consistent and, and, and really very impressive. And that's backed up by the statistics. So that's the defensive solidity in terms of that three at the back almost and, and the three going forward. So that's, that's where if Boca are going to win the win the title, that that's where they do it. It's really easy to kind of spout out footballing cliches about Boca, about solidity at the back and spine of the team and and a fairly regular starting eleven. But unfortunately, they all ring true mm. when you, when you look at things like the appearances this season, who's been involved the most and and who's provided the goals and and where's the stability in this side. It all just rings true. It's almost like they're too predictable because you know they're not going to excite you and even when they created loads of chances in the second leg against Racing they were great but they weren't stretched at all because they were so dominant so it almost wasn't actually that exciting it was like that semi-final second leg was the equivalent of um, holding somebody out at arm's length while they're swinging punches at you and you're just <laughs> kicking them as uh, Ricky Gervais I think said in one of his stand-ups it was very similar to that 
Boca had the reach. Racing were completely overreaching in the way they tried to tackle them. So this is going to be interesting to see what Santos can provide because we've both been fairly down on on Santos, I would say, in this uh, in this tournament so far. Well, I was fairly down, yes, Ollie. But last week I did say that I thought their 4-1 victory over Gremio was the most impressive performance by any side in the knockout stages so far. I agree. I'm not very impressed by the Santos side. How could you be, really, when you look at their form domestically and they're quite patchy in the Libertadores as well? In fact, in all competitions, they've won one in seven, uh, the eighth in the league. They don't have that many standout players. So, yeah, I mean, we have been... I think we've just been pretty realistic about what we've seen from Santos, to be honest. But that was a great win against Gremio to see them through to this phase. They do have really good players. They do have a, you know, a couple of really exciting players. I don't know whether you want to bring in our Santos man now to, to kind of explore that more fully. But one thing I wanted to just touch on slightly is when I was looking at the Santos side and I was thinking, all right, how, how are they going to get past Boca? And the first thing I write down is Caio Jorge. And then I thought, is it unfair to put so much focus on an 18-year-old striker who's 19 later in this month? as a way to get past Boca Juniors in the semi-finals. That feels like if you rely, if you're putting that kind of weight on an 18-year-old's shoulders, it means, you know, that, that they're, they're not going to be favourites for this semi-final. Well, uh, I tell you what, let's have a, let's have a listen yeah. to what uh, Santos in English is, uh, Pedro Anthony uh, had to say about Santos, uh, their chances in the semi-final against Boca, and uh, a little bit about what we'd been saying about them as well. I definitely think that they've been playing a little bit better than you gave them credit for. And I think that they're going to surprise a lot of fans who maybe don't watch either Brazil or they haven't been watching Santos in the tournament so far. It's been a contrast to our kangaroo season, which is to say ups and downs domestically. And I think a lot of fans are um, expecting us to put on a really good show. Um, I think people are realizing that as a unit, the team is pretty good. Uh, we've got some players that can do some damage. Obviously, Mourinho, we're very dependent on him for offense. You know, in a couple of Vertidores, we've had other figures arise. Kyle George can't buy a goal domestically. Yet in couple of Vertidores, he's, I think, joint third top scorer. He's got five goals. He's going to be dangerous. We've got Jean, um, who is the keeper. Excellent shot stopper with some decent distribution. He actually started the season as our fourth choice keeper. And then through injuries, COVID, and even our first choice, forcing um, his way out of the club via the courts, um, Jean has emerged as our number one, and he's fantastic. Lucas Verissimo is um, probably the best central defender in Brazil. I think most would agree with that. Jefferson Saltaldo, people forget about him. Um, he was fantastic last year. He's had a great year this year. Um, he was out with COVID, but he's back. The thing that I fear the most would be uh, Boca getting an early goal. I think that would really kill the game. Boca are so solid defensively. There's a correlation between Santos having possession and actually draws and losses. Um, Santos are a team that like to hit you on the counter. And so, you know, if, if Boca are going to be sitting back, allowing Santos to have some ball, I'm not sure how how well Santos will do with that. That last point's the most interesting point to me, is that Santos are a counter-attacking side and they don't win games when they have a lot of possession because on an individual basis, they're not great at breaking down sides. As a collective, as was mentioned at the beginning of that, they're, they're a great group. It, it, it kind of sounds a little like the, the Leicester City team that won the Premier League to some extent. You know, they're, they're a great collective bunch that have a lot of quality and chemistry and cohesion when they work together. Um, and they're, they're awesome on the counter-attack. Uh, and if that's the way Santos are successful in the Libertadores, as we've seen, you know, they scored early against Gremio in the second leg and forced Gremio to come out. And perhaps that explains a little bit of the result as well as Gremio's mistakes in that second leg. But if that's the way that Santos are going to be successful, I see it being very difficult to be successful against Boca Juniors like that. that that was really valuable, Oli, wasn't it? Receiving that kind of insight from someone that watches Santos regularly because we've seen what they've done in the Copa Libertadores, but we'd be lying if we say we watch every league game that Santos plays. So that was really interesting from Pedro. And yeah, he, he's clearly really nervous that if Boca could get their noses in front and then rely on that defensive solidity, then then they'll be okay. Um, yeah, I, I also thought it was interesting that how casual, it just goes to show 
the kind of the complexities of South American football when Pedro said that uh, a, a previous first choice goalkeeper left via the courts as if that was just an afterthought. <laughs> you know, I'm sure there's a lot of digging to be done on that particular story. Perhaps Pedro can come back and fill us in one day. But uh, yeah, um, I mean, I don't fancy Santos to do it, but what do you think? Can they? Look, if if we're talking about they're they're going to be able to win by being very solid defensively, we've already spoken there. Lucas Verissimo was mentioned, uh, and the keeper John as well. In terms of right, that's a great centre back and a great goalkeeper. That's a great start to building a defensive unit that can slow down. Um, it's a lot of pressure, as you mentioned, on Caio Jorge. Uh, Mourinho has been a little, actually, I think, colder as the tournament's gone on. I haven't noticed him as much as Caio Jorge. Uh, you have since Sotel, though, having him back will be massive yeah. because we, we we touched on him in terms of the, the, the group stage and, and how key he was in actually being the, the creative linchpin as a number 10, wearing the number 10 shirt for them. Look, there's always, there's always a chance with this Santos team uh, against a Boca team that... You would never say they're renowned for falling on their face after the way they won the league and and obviously uh, being knocked out by River last year in the semi-finals. It's no appalling oh, feat yeah. at all to, to lobby at Boca. But at the same time, they have been the second fiddle in Argentinian football for a long time compared to River's successes. And it's an interesting you know, that's point. a mental yeah, thing as well. I think it's a, it's a really interesting point. Was it Joel that mentioned earlier, Ollie, that Boca and River have both been in the semi-finals of this competition in the last three years, which is really impressive, really. But yeah, yeah, I wonder if that is in the back of Boca's mind. Of course, they lost the final against River in, in 2018 with all the madness that happened there and then, you know, got squeaked out in the semi-finals last year. So I wonder if that is just in, in the back of their mind as well. And so Teldo, you talked about him quite a lot early, a bit earlier on in the tournament. But um, yeah, I saw he played at the weekend in the in the league for Santos. So he should, should be in that starting 11, certainly, in terms of ability, as long as he's fit enough. Um, yeah. It's interesting that Pedro said, uh, I mean, that that is a brief breakdown of everything that uh, that Pedro sent me in terms of breaking down this um, this Santos side. But one of the things that he emphasized a few times was, A, he carried on emphasizing the collective of how it is a, it's Boca have better individuals. And if we're talking about individuals, I'm, you know, Boca still probably don't have the best collective in individuals, I think, in the tournament still. Mm. There's two sides that probably have better individual players sure. in there in River and Palmeiras. But... That's great that, that that it is. There's so much reliance on the cohesion and the chemistry of the Santos team, and there's a there's a level headedness and practicality about the um, expectation of this Santos team. They he described it as a Cinderella story. Said you know kangaroo season, particularly domestically, ups and downs all the time. Whereas he's felt they've been fairly consistent in terms of high quality and just providing enjoyment for at least for their fans in this competition. So they're not expected to win it. They know, their fans know it's a, it's such a tough task against Boca Juniors who have a better side, better pedigree in the tournament of recent years. I, there's almost like a free hit. Mm. We've said it a few times in the knockout stages. It's a bit of a free hit for Santos. Um, you spent more time in America than I have, in North America than I have, Ollie. Kangaroo season, is that an established phrase? Certainly not one that I've comes to noticed. our little island of um, the United Kingdom. I don't know if Pedro's perhaps got a, an Australian grandmother or something like that where, where that phrase would be better suited, <laughs> but perhaps it's an American thing. I'm not sure. Don't, I'm not sure there's too many roos skipping about in the, in the favelas, but I, I could be wrong. <laughs> I've never, I personally never heard it out of a North American. Um, I enjoyed I it though. Like it's, it, yeah. it's, it, it's perfect. It describes exactly could what you want. As soon as you said kangaroo yeah. season. Yeah, there's a little there's a little bit moment in your head where you're like kangaroo, and then you're like boing boing, you up down, it, up down, right? It, yeah. Got you, yeah, yeah, it works. It makes <laughs> sense. <laughs> um, but this this is why I think this semi final could be not a drag. It's never going to be a drag. It's going to be tense and exciting. But compared to what you see the night before, on paper at least, there's eye candy, and then there's two one nils possibly. For a European audience, this has got another selling point, Mister Wilson. Do you want me to tell you what it is? Hit me. It is on at... I know you're a night owl, Ollie, and if games are at 4.30 in the morning, then you're up at 4.30 in the morning. But this one is actually on at a way more respectable time for the European audience. So it's like 10.15 UK time and 11.15 across the rest of Europe, pretty much. So, you know, that, and considering the game is being shown on the BBC, that might tempt a few in, whereas the, the half-past midnight kickoff is, is for most, not Mr. Wilson, but for most, it's, it's a harder sell. I will be pleased that I won't have to stay up until sure. one fifteen to watch this. That's for sure. Um, 
You got to advertise it right, though. I mean, we. I feel like we do our bit by doing the podcast and getting excited about these these ties, and uh, you know, bringing a bit of information sure. into it. I need to. I've barely seen, aside from the initial press release, a pop out of it in terms of. I don't know. I'd throw. I'd throw a lot at this. This is a freaking great competition. Yeah. This is. I described it, and we've described it um, through WhatsApp conversations. I was chatting with somebody who works at Sky Sports, and I said one of the things that I miss at the moment, considering all the talk around football in Europe right now. Um, the thing I really miss is working on these games more because it feels like the last bastion of like raw sure. football. It's it's unsanitized sure, football sure. in a wonderfully erratic and way. And it won't be forever. You know, as the as the world no. of football propels itself for better or for worse into yeah into a more sanitized, less raw world, then yeah, you know, you might have another five years like this, I'd say, of, of South American football. But uh, I, I guess, Ollie, why hasn't it been advertised so much? Well, I don't know. That's a question for, for BBC executives. But, but I mean, the, the lack of <laughs> the lack of fans obviously makes it a little bit of a harder sell. I'm sure they'll go way bigger for the final, which uh, I was listening to, on, uh, listening to a podcast earlier that were kind of suggesting they might, the Brazilian authorities, if they can clear it with, uh, that they could potentially be fans in, in American R. Um, January 30. Do, you, do you reckon if it's Santos Palmeiras, there's a far larger likelihood of there being fans? I don't fans think there'll be fans anyway. To... I just think it's just too. It's a little bit too early, and there's just too much to lose. You know, for the sake of what you'd have to do to get kind of five thousand fans in the American R or ten thousand fans, and if something goes wrong, you know, there's going to be a big blame game. So uh, I'd love to see it, and I hope it happens. But I just think um, people will err on the side of caution. Hey, if I'm working for Comrable, which unfortunately I'm not in the offices, I'm not in Asuncion, I don't make any any decisions, I have no power, I would be sending a lot of Christmas gifts this Christmas to the Brazilian authorities to try and get sure. fans in America now when you look at, I don't know, what potentially is on the horizon of uh, it, it, of the final? It doubles, it doubles the spectacle, doesn't it, fans? I know what you're just about to Massive. say, by the way, but yeah, it doubles because it doubles <laughs> we're coming to the end of the podcast and that can only mean one thing. But the uh, the yeah, it just doubles the spectacle and doubles the selling point and, you know, it, it it's not obviously it's not exclusive to South American football or even football. You take fans out of live sport and it, it is a different, um, it is different, like, you know. Uh, and then, okay, Ollie, so you were going to say, and we sh- No, no, whoa, 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 let's, let's, let's do the predictions okay. first because cause we don't know what the final's going to be until we've worked out what, who and what we think is going sure, sure, to happen sure. in these semifinals. Um, I will say that, uh, that Pedro feels that it's going to be a 1-1 draw in the Bombonera in the first leg, and then a 1-0 at home for Santos, and Santos will go through 2-1 on aggregate. So, uh, yeah, that would be... I mean, he said he's hopelessly optimistic about it, but I like the optimism. You know, if you're in the semi-finals of the Copa Libertadores, you've got to be optimistic about your chances, Yeah, of course, and it's not like this is a... We talked extensively about what's good about this Boca side, but it's certainly not an unbeatable Boca side. So all four sides in the semi-finals can can look at what's within their starting eleven and beyond, and, and be confident getting to the final. Um, who's going to win it? Well, do you want to just predict the, the the first game, Ollie, or do you want to cast a net over who's going to get to the final? Let's go through the first legs, each of us first, and then and then maybe have a very brief chat about I- the final. Okay, Windsor, hit me. You're the you're the river aficionado. You you love Gashado as much as maybe Joel Richards does. So I, I let's... S- the fact that Joel Richards can, when life is as it should be in normal, and the fact that Joel Richards can hear the monumental roar from his balcony, I think must yeah, propel him into you know a different level of uh, of super fan. Uh, you know when I, when I saw that and we experienced that, it's just beautiful. I think uh, I think River edge a 1-0 win in the first leg okay yeah i'm i'm close to that but i don't see palmeras not capitalizing on the opportunity perhaps of a slightly weakened river defense particularly in the flanks so i see a 2-1 victory for river we get to see what palmeras defense is like it's not maybe as good as we hoped but we also see the brazilians get a big away goal and Boca. Yeah, I'm still umming and ahhing about this. I mean, you this. backed him at the start, I, I still, so... Yeah, I've I've got to go with Boca to to keep a clean sheet on home soil. I struggle to see them conceding um, at home, so let's go with let's go with a two nil victory. And it's like a dagger through the heart for Santos, like a potential tie killer already, just in the manner, 
like a controlled possession similar to the Racing game. I'm going to say Boca by a goal to nil. So both Buenos Aires clubs to, to take a slender lead into the second leg. And a thought on on who goes through overall? I mean, can it be? Like, there's so many mixed emotions of a Boca River final. It, it would be great to have a Boca River final because it's, it's Boca River. But it would also be a massive shame because people would tune in for a Boca River final and then there definitely wouldn't be fans at the Maracanã and it'd be like, oh, this this should be. And then it, it's not. And that, that, that would mm. almost be more disheartening. You know? I can imagine the amount of casual fans that would turn on, t- switch that final on, Ollie, and then after five minutes be like, well, there are no fans, the quality of football, you know. I, I think it would be a massive shame, actually, if it was a if it was a Boca River final with no fans. So, I mean, uh, I don't know. <laughs> That's, uh, I, think, I think that River Plate, for the first time in two years, is looking in a more cautious way. Uh, a new Super Clásico after uh, what happened in Madrid in 2018. I really think that uh, despite a final is always uh, very, very hard to play, I think that Boca could have more chances against Palmeiras, even if Palmeiras is considered a stronger team than River Plate. That's the Boca point of view on a Boca River final and potentially a Boca Palmeiras final. If you're a Boca fan, and I was listening to the Boca in English podcast earlier, and they, they made the good point, Ollie, that when it happened in 2018, as football fans and journalists and commentators and reporters do, you make it seem like it's this once-in-a-century event, right? And then uh, the, the point was made that, you know, River won that 2018 final, and it's kind of like immortalised. They beat, But here we are, you know, a couple of years later, just over two years later, and... They could easily be another final. So the point was made like, look, you know, football gets played every year and it's not impossible that there'll be Boca River finals to come in the years to come. You know, if anything, over the next few years, the way the football calendar's going, Oli, there's just going to be more and more and more football rather than less and less. So I do mm. think it's a point that whilst it would be unbelievable and sensational, that were it to happen, I, I think, you know, it would be, it would just be a demonstration that, that these games, they aren't necessarily once in a generation events. They can happen multiple times. For for this, though, it would be the most dominant spell in the biggest competition for both of these two sides. And until Boca can win two or three, maybe Libertadores in a row, River fans will always have the last two-legged final over them, particularly after everything that went on and the second leg that was meant to be in the Monumental moved to Madrid. They would have the first semi-final Copa Libertadores meeting after that final of beating them over two legs then and then they would have a one night only if River won it the first El Clasico on a one night only final in the Libertadores meaning that in three years in a row they've knocked out or beaten Boca in either semi-finals or final of the greatest competition with the same manager with very similar squads and for Boca fans you cannot you cannot rewrite that piece of history and so it will be something that songs are made up about. I just had a thought, Ollie. I actually am not sure I want to see it for the same reason that I didn't want Donald Trump to get a second term in America. Because it's just too, we've just had too much. You know how a lot of people are like, I'm just bored of it. Like whatever your politics are, you just can't handle it. And I think the emotional roller coaster has been so intense for everyone over this pandemic year that I just worry about Boca fans. And we know a few and they're sensitive souls anyway. I worry about what would what would happen to Boca fans if River beat them in the final in the Maracanã, and then you'd have a year where Boca fans have gone through a pandemic and um, and then <laughs> lost another final against River. I mean, I think then you Boca fans. I don't know. I don't know how you carry on life then. So for kind of yeah. similar reasons of you, yeah, you also don't want it to lose the spice. I mean, we're talking about potentially, and I know we're getting on to talking about the final already, sure. and this we haven't even had the first legs yet. But you're already talking about, and we've been talking about this potential final for the last <laughs> like four podcasts anyway. So um, two Classicos in the space of four weeks. And oversaturation of anything, you can look at how the Premier League is viewed at the moment with just games seemingly around the clock, which is great in some sense and then feels like oversaturation in another sense. How football on TV doesn't feel as special anymore, you know. I'm sure your old man, the same as mine, has kind of said, I used to be able to remember every sure. game that was on television that yeah, year and basically finals. recount the whole game, yeah. Whereas now it's like, that's just another game hitting you in the face. If it's 
and this is the worry what we spoke about the other week of Brazilian and Argentinian dominance and perhaps then clubs rising to the top of those two leagues as well. It's always going to be Boca and River, it feels, in the Libertadores because of the way that football is going and changing. And if, you know, Flamengo and Corinthians become these businesses and, and can extrapolate more money for them, they may become the leading sides in Brazilian football. And at that point, it, it may even feel like just a four-team competition. And we're just waiting to see how those four teams get to the knockout stages and to deeper into the knockout stages. And you don't want that special edge of what was two years ago in the final. That was so special yeah. that world football, the whole of world football yeah, tuned in I for mean, various really reasons. I, think, I don't think that's an exaggeration. I think it was just, oh my God, everyone knows about Boca River. And here it was. And with, you know, it was just, you could write, and people have, I think, written books about that final and all the chaos and everything that went with it. So it would be kind of, I want it because I'm a football fan. And ever since I've known about South American football, Boca River was was fascinated me and fascinates every football fan but there's yeah there's there's a part of me that could could see the negative sides to it as well and just the just the kind of oh, okay okay here, here we go again so i mean there's there's plenty of football to be played before then Big thanks, as always, for listening to the podcast. Uh, big thanks to all of the people that gave us audio for this week. Uh, Francisco R of uh, the Boca in English podcast. Follow them at C-A-B-J underscore English. That's C-A-B-J underscore English or Francisco at at Francisco A-U-R-E. That's Francisco A-U-R-E. And I apologize, Francisco if I have just butchered your last name. Uh, you can follow, of course, Joel Richards, who gave us his insights onto uh, River Plate. Um, you can follow him on Twitter at Joel underscore Richards. That's at Joel underscore Richards. And a big thanks as well to our Santos guest today. That is Pedro. Uh, Pedro Anthony, of course. You can follow him at, at Santos FC underscore Ingles. That's Santos FC underscore Ingles for all your Santos needs. Like, subscribe and follow the podcast on Anchor.fm, who are our hosts, and of course, Google Podcasts and Spotify and iTunes as well. And of course, get in contact with us via Twitter at David T. Windsor is David Sandor. That's at David T. Windsor. Mr. Social Media himself always replies to all the tweets he gets. And myself, O underscore J underscore Wilson. That's O underscore J underscore Wilson. Let's see what happens in the first legs of the semi-finals of the Comibol Libertadores 2020 and we'll be back next week to review all the action. Take care.